to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, February 11th, 2024. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today, we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His new book, Brain Teasers for Broadway Geniuses, is now available wherever finer books are sold. Peter also has columns at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Good morning. Hello. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael's a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of CastAlbumReviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at FollowSpotPhoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. And Michael, CastAlbumReviews.com is symbiotic next month with... Uh, your all your work at Fifty Four Below as Fifty Four <laughs> loves cast albums. It's the second edition, I might add. So March seventh, tell us what is going to happen there. Well, I love doing this show because basically it gives us license to sing anything that's ever yeah. been in any musical and has ever <laughs> been on a cast album. <laughs> mm. Um, and I have I'm really happy to have Charles Kirsch as my co-host for this edition because he, uh, as I mentioned, he somewhat recently joined the stable of writers for castalbumreviews.com. And we've got Matthew Martin Ward as our music director and a really great cast, Karen Akers, J. Aubrey Jones, Gerard Alessandrini, and Christine Petty, representing mm. Forbidden Broadway. Robbie Roselle, um, who can talk with us, in addition to performing, talk about the... Uh, producing end of cast albums because uh, he was with Broadway records for years and now is with the new labeled center stage records. Um, and then I've got, uh, Peter, I've got two people from that production of guys and dolls that I didn't. Oh, how nice. Yeah. yeah. John Griffin and George Anthony Pappas are going to do, um, they're at least going to do the title song from guys and dolls. And I think maybe some more. And then I just added uh, just yesterday, Megan Sterna, who was in my uh, Bernstein on Broadway show and also my voice uh, from Syracuse in concert at 54 Below. So I'm really glad that she has joined. And I think we're going to try to do um, some kind of a, in addition to everything else, some kind of tribute to Cheetah at the end because we have some footage of her mm. when she appeared in my Bernstein on Broadway show. Um, so I thought that would be a nice a nice thing to do for her. And uh, really looking forward to it. So you can find the link, uh, the ticketing link, and more information in the show notes. Michael, uh, uh, let me ask you. I'm looking at the 54 Below website for mm. 54 Loves Cast Albums, second edition. And it's got this great graphic with these uh, CDs uh, on a shelf. Yes. Uh, did you guys design that, or where did they that come did? From? They have a they have a department that does all the graphics. It's it's really wonderful. Um, it's it's really great. But I you know uh, it's about two hundred or so CDs, and that's only letter A in the alphabet. So <laughs> it, it you know, <laughs> and it's only one 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 tenth of Peter's collection. <laughs> yes, exactly. And one maybe one twentieth of mine. You know, <laughs> are you going to uh, are you going to bring uh, a classic vinyl to show the people from the stage? You know, this is how they used to come. That's a good idea because it it's is. yeah. I mean, actually, uh, 
when they designed Charles Kirsch probably doesn't even know what a CD is. <laughs> <laughs> Let alone LP. No, he knows. I guarantee you. Anyway. Well, I ha- I haven't told him this yet, but I was thinking of, of asking him in in the show what he, what was his first cast album, uh-huh. uh, and then I'll you know and then I'll talk about mine. But of course, mine was like forty or fifty years after his. So uh-huh. before, yeah. So, anyway. so. <laughs> Definitely before. Before, yeah. I mean, yeah, my, I, I got it before. It got it, but yeah. My first cast album was the uh, the concept cast of Starlet Express, you know? Wow. <laughs> you know, uh, Starlet Express has been running in Germany for like 35 years or you something like that. I heard that, yeah. Yeah, wow. they they it's uh, running nonstop for thirty some odd years. It was uh, it was uh, Gordon Gordon from Variety. Uh, Gordon, I can't remember his last name. Who's Gordon's last Edelstein? name from Variety? No, no, uh, no Gordon Cox, Cox from oh, right. yes, yes. from Variety. He's got this uh, this newsletter on Substack now that's um, talking about inter- the international theater market and his latest. Uh, his latest entry is Starlet Express is a German landmark now. How Andrew Lloyd Webber's roller skating train musical has run for 35 years and counting in a German town you've probably never heard of. Mm. So, yeah. So, uh, Gordon Cox uh, branched out into the international theatrical uh, journalism market recently and has got a great newsletter over on Substack. So, check it out. I don't know if everybody had a chance to check this out, but yesterday, Saturday, February 10th, was Jan Simpson Day on Broadway Radio. Jan, <laughs> uh, nice. yeah, Jan released two new shows, the latest episode of All the Drama, which was uh, The Tea House of the August Moon by mm. John Patrick, which was the 1954 Pulitzer Prize winner. Mm-hmm. And then uh, later in the day, she uh, released the newest episode of Stagecraft, where she uh, spoke to returning guest Sarah Gancher, who is the uh, playwright of Russian Troll Farm, which is uh, opening up over at the Vineyard right now. Um, So um, Patreon listeners got all the drama last week and Stagecraft uh, earlier on Saturday. And so uh, it was quite the day the jan simpson day on broader radio yesterday so if uh you haven't heard those go back in your feed and listen to both of them they're both great uh, uh moving back a little Joe, because mm-hmm. you're talking about um broadway musicals overseas um there's a new book about this called tell it to the world the broadway musical abroad uh which oxford university press is putting out david sabran concentrates on musicals simply in germany so i guess starlight express is going to be in there in korea so he just takes those two countries and talks about American musicals um, being done there and how they're done. So um, I only got the book yesterday. I have no idea if it's good, bad, or indifferent, but nevertheless, uh, it does deal with the subject we were just talking about. So I thought I'd give it a mention. Oh, great. I love that. I'll throw that into the show notes so that uh, if you are listening and you want to check it out, um, you can get over to the show notes and click on that and we'll bring it directly to it. So uh, we got an email from uh, David Levy over at Actors' Equity uh, yesterday on Saturday that Actors' Equity 
has authorized a strike against the Broadway League, which kind of was under the radar for most folks. But Equity has been negotiating with the League uh, about their development agreement, and it seems that there's no progress. Now, it doesn't mean that there's going to be a strike, Mm -hmm. but it's just that the uh, membership of Equity has uh, given support to the union if, if they do feel that uh, a strike is necessitated. And what's especially interesting about that is that almost a month ago, Charlotte St. Martin said that she's resigning from the Broadway League as of February 16th. <laughs> February 16th is this week. Mm-hmm. And we've heard nothing from the League mm-hmm. about who's going to replace Charlotte St. Martin. Is it possible that we'll have an actress equity strike while we have no leadership at the League? Well, I forget. Did they say that there's an interim person? They did. There is an interim person, but, uh, you know. Yeah, so whatever yeah. that's. Yeah. It, it, so, um, you know, um, it, Jason uh, Lax is uh, the league's executive vice president and general counselor. He's going to be serving as active president while the board continues to look for uh a new leader of the league so uh it it's not leaderless but it's certainly not ideal to be going through a transitionary period you know how do you negotiate with somebody who is only a traditional figure except that as i think i mentioned before many people have told me that they felt that charlotte was mostly a figurehead Mm. Uh, and that was hired specifically to be a figurehead uh, with uh, and to basically do what everyone else wanted. Uh, mm. Now, I mean, it's, it's hard to prove yeah. that, yeah, but sure. um, sure. but I, I, you know, I did get that impression also given her background. Uh, so um, if so, if that were the case, then this would not be, you know, it, it wouldn't be such a big deal that there's no you know, that she's gone. Mm. Well, we shall see what we shall see is that wonderful song from the Amazons, the British musical, <laughs> which is a CD that lives, that is among my A's in my collection. Yes. Uh, <laughs> very good song. I recommend it highly. The Amazons. So, uh, for our listeners out there who may not be, in the loop here, it's so much hype around it and everything. There's a thing called a Super Bowl today. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the Super Bowl, for those who don't know, it, it's sort of like the Tony right. Awards for football. That's right. Um, and so, uh, you know, if you see people yelling and screaming uh, on a Sunday evening um, in front of their television, it, it may be because of this. And, uh, and and Michael and I were just talking about a, a, a funny post we've seen on social media where uh, uh, somebody posted that a friend of mine has two tickets for, for the Super Bowl, both box seats. He paid $2,500 each, but he didn't realize last year when he bought them that this was going to be on the same day as his wedding. So oh. if uh, you're interested, um, he is looking for someone to take his place. It's at Holy Cross Church on Lake Avenue at 3 p.m. <laughs> the bride's name is Nicole. She's 5'4", about 115 pounds, a good cook, too. And yeah. she'll be in the white dress. Right. So, uh, 
Yeah. Uh, I remember one time when the Super Bowl was on and I had the sound off and I decided to do an article of putting five um, CDs in my CD player that accommodates five of any get your gun, the five different recordings of it and do an article uh, comparing this, that, and the other thing. And I thought this has got to be the only household where five CDs of any get your gun are playing while the Super Bowl is on with sound <laughs> off, you know? So, uh, um, but anyway, yes, uh, last year what I did was, uh, because I had just moved was put my CDs in alphabetical order. And as you assumed, uh, the A's alone took, well, uh, the first <laughs> quarter so uh, yeah. <laughs> well that that super bowl joke reminds me of that that wonderful old joke that i think sure. i've told before i I've, I've heard it about south pacific but i heard about how mm-hmm. to succeed yeah go ahead <laughs> yeah yeah south pacific was such a hard ticket sure. when it opened that you you could not get a ticket and uh so some guy go gets a ticket to go see it and he's sitting there and he notices there's an empty seat next to him and prime orchestra seating and there's a woman uh, seating in the next sitting in the next seat and he says to her he says you know if it's okay for me to ask why why is the seat empty and she says oh my husband and i wanted to see the show together Uh, we really wanted to see it so badly but then he died and i you know and i think he just would have wanted me to see it you know, anyway. So I so said, that's why I'm here. And he said, Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. But, you know, uh, but, um, but wasn't there any friend or family member that you could have brought instead? And she said, Oh, well, they're all at the funeral. <laughs> Jackie Gleason told that um, on his TV show back in the early 60s. Oh, really? Where, yeah, yeah, that's where I first heard it. And he used how to succeed. But I have no doubt it was said for South Pacific or maybe even something before that. But that's where uh, I first heard it. You know, uh, with the cost of Merrily, we roll along tickets, mm. you know, <laughs> mm. uh, ap- approaching that of Super Bowl tickets. Mm. So. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's why the seat is empty, because the guy heard how much his wife paid for Merrily, we roll along, and he had a heart <laughs> attack and died. <laughs> On that note, um, j- by the way, I wrote to the press agents for that show to ask if um, – if there is any official statement as to why Lindsay Mendez yeah, has apparently yeah. been out so often. And yeah. also if she is still considered officially a member of the cast. Yeah. And, uh, and then I wrote, uh, you know, like about two paragraphs, like with other questions. And the response I got was, hi, Michael, Lindsay is still a member of the cast. Kaboom. So okay. I guess we're not going to hear any, <laughs> anything more about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, we'll we'll really know more about it when uh, nominations come out. And oh, good point. You know, and after nominations come out, it you know, and and I expect she'll be nominated if she starts to be back in the rotation. Then you know, maybe there is uh, a little motivation there to uh, yeah, there probably is to get back. Yeah, that is going to make things interesting. Uh, so the James, yeah, we should, go ahead. probably should just um, briefly uh, explain what the development issue is with with equity, because uh, I didn't at first. So, I didn't know why they were. Yeah. yeah. So uh, equity is uh, looking to negotiate with the league members about 
the development of new plays and musicals and how the contributions of actors should be awarded uh, if the play go, a play or musical or piece goes forward and, uh, and how, you know, everything comes down to how much people are going to get paid and Page. if right. they have a, if they have a piece of the thing going forward. So that's the, and this is and, not a new issue, but I guess you no. should say it's coming to a head. <laughs> well, uh, it was renegotiated in 2019. and I thought so. I, yeah. Now it's, the current contract is coming to an expiration. Uh, and the uh, Actors' Equity is looking for uh, uh, um, a renegotiation, a re-understanding of the way that the world has changed uh, in, in development. Uh, so that's, you know, where it's coming from. Uh, I, I, uh, we can only get so much information. Uh, we don't really have details and nuts and bolts, um, of how the development contract actually works. But, um, the interesting part to me is that I sort of feel like if the actors want a piece of that, it, should come from the writer's side because the producers mm. don't necessarily own the rights. Yeah. So I, I, I don't, I don't really know about, does it come out of two, two and two or, you know, yeah, where does yeah. that, where does that come from? You know, if the actors are credited with creation, then should it be some sort of royalty agreement? I, I don't, again, I don't know the, the nuts and bolts of the development contract that's being negotiated right now. Uh, we're only being told what actors equity or uh, we really haven't heard much from the league on this topic at all. So I don't really know what the league stance is on it. I don't really know what equity stance on it is, is that other than, you know, big platitudes, the actors, you know, help develop this and it wouldn't exist if it weren't for the actors. O okay. That, that's a fine stance, but give me some specifics, you know? Uh, so I, I don't really know what they want. So we'll have to see if it uh, becomes a, a larger issue. Right. Uh, but it's important that uh, actors equity and the league get along because um, these two organizations need to be connected to each other. Which brings us to our first review of the morning. Peter, you got to see The Connector over at MCC's <laughs> new, new theater. Oh, do we still call it new theater? It's about five years old or so. But Is it's, it really, uh, it's really already five years? Well, yeah. <laughs> um, but Lord. the new Jason Robert Brown musical, The Connector, is now uh, playing over at MCC's theater on West, 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 52nd Street. Mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. so tell us what you thought of it. Well, it's an original musical, but it may not seem as original to those who saw that 2003 movie, Shattered Glass, which was about um, a reporter who fabricated a story and uh, got away with it for a while. But um, eventually the day of reckoning came and um, he had to pay the price. That's what happens here. Um, I guess I just should have said spoiler alert, but... Um, there is some suspense in the fact that um, here is this young hotshot um, who, 
who knows everything, a really smart kid, uh, appealing, and wonderfully played by Ben Levy Ross, who was uh, one of the Evan Hansen's um, terrific performance as uh, this Tyro, and an equally excellent performance. Welcome back, Scott Bakula, uh, playing Conrad O'Brien, who is indeed his editor, who takes a shine to the kid, and as is in so many cases, reminds him of him when he was his age. So um, the kid comes up with a story, and in comes Muriel. Um, Muriel, by the way, for whatever reason, does not get a last name. I don't know what that means. Maybe it was just a misprint on the program. But anyway, Jessica, Jessica Malaski plays Muriel, who's a fact checker, who looks at the story and says, mm, I don't know, you know, and um, the editor-in-chief, uh, Conrad, is totally behind, totally behind Ethan Dobson, uh, feels that indeed, uh, no, uh, he knows what he's doing. Um, I know what you're talking about, Muriel, but this is a different type of piece and you don't understand. So what we have here is um, a story that um, could be in uh, go in one uh, of two directions. Is it a story of, of shattered glass all over again where um, the kid is um, making up facts? Or is this a story of an older woman who's losing her grip, who isn't as smart as she used to be, um, who uh, needs to start planning what dress she'll wear at her retirement party? Um, <laughs> so that could be a very interesting um, situation. Uh, but anyway, it does go the way you probably suspect it's going to go. And um, the kid is going to have, turn out to have feet of clay. What's wonderful is a scene between him and um, another woman in the office, not not Muriel, who um, indeed uh, is looking for a favor. And now he's this big hotshot, you know, the feet on the desk type of uh, personality. And it's really something to see him um, grow or devolve, depending on how you look at it, into this um, horrible human being. And um, that. Ben Levy Ross is excellent at making that adjustment as well. So um, that's the story. Uh, Jonathan Mark Sherman, who certainly has been around uh, off-Broadway since 1987 when he was a winner in the Young Playwrights Festival, <laughs> and in 1988 when he was a winner in the Young Playwrights Festival. It's wonderful when uh, people in the Young Playwrights Festival stay with it and have careers, and he certainly has. This is not his first musical. He even did that Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice that we saw a few years ago. So um, so it's literate, if it's not surprising. Um, but, you know, what's really interesting to me is that as a result of this young man's story, which deals with corruption in Jersey City, <laughs> that the mayor resigns. Now, maybe there should have been more about the fact is, does the end justify the means? I mean, the fact is that even though the story turned out to be false, if you got rid of a corrupt mayor, is that a good thing, ultimately, even though it was done in a thoroughly journalistically appalling way. Uh, I find that of more than moderate interest, and I don't think Jonathan Mark Sherman did. Um, what he does, uh, what Jason Robert Brown has at the end is, um, shall we say, an 11 o'clock number, is the kid um, talking about all the um, various 
theories and uh, denials that people have about this, that, and the other things, such as the Holocaust. In other words, who knows the truth about anything? It's that type of song. And um, while it does have power, I'd be more interested in knowing more about is it a good idea to get rid of people no matter how you get rid of them. So that appealed to me more. So um, I haven't talked much about the music. Um, Jason Robert Brown, of course, is one of our um, blue chip uh, composer lyricists. And while there are times when he goes for a high note and then a low note, it does make um, the lyrics hard to understand. It's another one of those scores like Days of Wine and Roses, which you you certainly are pleased when you're sitting in the theater. Um, but but um, I don't know if you'd really like it as a cast album if you listen to Dribs and Drabs. If you were going to sit in your apartment, um, if you were going to sit in your car while you're driving a long distance and you're listening, I think you can really get into this type of score, just like Days of Wine and Roses. You can get into it, but um, it, uh, it, it, it really is theatrical in the best sense of the word, and yet um, I don't think it's ultimately the type of thing that people are going to be listening to very much when they're at home. Um, it, you got to be there. Daisy Prince directed Lord knows Daisy Prince is an important building block in Jason Robert Brown's career. She's the one who went to Harold Prince and said, Daddy, I think you should listen to this kid, which um, <laughs> Harold Prince did. Um, I've always been convinced that that song from uh, Songs from a New World, Just One Step, is what um, Hal heard and said, whoa, this kid's brilliant. Because I think it's one of the greatest pieces of special material ever. Um, anyway. Um, she's directed, and I'm sorry to say that the stage of MCC is astonishingly wide, and so there are many scenes she's put at the edge of each. So you, one extreme stage left, so the people on um, the, the other side of the house can't see it. Then on extreme stage right, and these people on the other side of the house can't really see it very well. Um, she might have uh, placed a few things more centrally. There's another scene where... Um, Conrad, again, the editor, and Muriel, the fact checker, are um, having a very serious discussion in a restaurant. And um, they are facing each other, so we only see profiles. I would have liked to see them in a banquette where they're both next to each other having this argument so that we could hear it better. Mm-hmm. But um, but all things considered, um, this is always an intriguing piece, um, and it's certainly intelligent. And um, I liked a lot of it, but um, I wish there were more surprises for me and more justifications uh, for better or worse. All right. So, uh, Michael, have you got this on your agenda yet? Yes, I think I mentioned I uh, there there apparently was a huge demand for tickets. Yeah. Uh, partly because it's a relatively small theater. Um, so I'm not going till the second to last performance, I believe, unless they uh, unless they extend again. Well, they extended their final extension to March 17th. They have a show right. coming in right after it, so they can't extend any further. Mm-hmm. But they it is a hard ticket to get, um, and uh, it's a lot of buzz around it. Uh, I haven't seen it yet. I'll see it in a couple of weeks. But, you know, I, I think it might be a heavy lift to... Um, to bring it to Broadway right now. Yeah. It just doesn't have like that total buzz around it. I'm not saying it's a quality thing. I'm just saying that if, uh, you know, it's hard to get a theater 
So right, we'll have right. to see what next season would bring. However, and with the, with the buzzle, yeah. <laughs> the Lyceum is suddenly open. <laughs> True. Mm-hmm. Good. <laughs> uh, we haven't <laughs> talked about this, but my sons are queer, but what can you do? Um, has postponed at least a year. So that was supposed uh, to come in. It's not coming in. Yes. So, for whatever reason. So, um, I, I'm seeing the I'm seeing the connector on um, March second, which was to have been uh-huh. uh, the night before it, it closed. But as you mentioned, it's been uh, it's been extended. Um, yeah, and aside from the other the other issues, um, it the the New York Times review anyway was quite mixed, um, and I don't think they were expecting that. So that might hmm. impact at least partly on whether or not there's ever a transfer. Um, Mark Hirschberg over at uh, Forbes uh, writes that um, Appropriate's going to transfer from the Hayes yes. to the Belasco. I just heard I haven't, that. I haven't heard. I haven't heard that anywhere else. But Mark, Mark is. Uh, I've never known Mark to be wrong. I mean, it is possible well, that it's wrong, but. No, I've heard this many, many times, but um, I'm wondering if indeed they'll take the Lyceum instead because it's closer uh, to Broadway and more visible a theater. Um, So I won't be surprised if that happens. But yes, there's been a lot of talk about um, uh, the Belasco. Who knows? And uh, they're announcing it for a limited. Uh huh. And also, uh, apparently, Elle Fanning will not be transferring because she has. Yeah, she's got uh, another commitment. Yeah. So uh, we will continue to talk about the connector after Michael sees it and I see it. Uh, that is over at the MCC through March 17th. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. And uh, that's the connector. So, Michael, you jumped out to Long Island to see Argyle Theater's production of A Chorus Line. Why don't you tell us about it? It was a very, very, it is a very, very strong production directed by Evan Pappas and Francine Espiritu uh, uh, and choreographed by Francine Espiritu uh, with Jonathan Brenner as musical director. Um, I always <laughs> love to see a wonderful production of Chorus Line. The, uh, the Broadway revival, for some reason, I think many people felt just didn't quite do it um i can't put my finger on it but uh, they well for one thing they tried to recreate uh in every tiny detail the original and maybe that put a little bit of a damper on the uh, any kind of feeling of creativity and spontaneity um but uh since then i've seen other wonderful productions that remind us that the show still works like hangbusters um despite whatever um dated aspects there may be in the in the lyrics in the book or whatever uh the encores production or i forget if it was considered part of encores or if it was just the city center production but that one was really really fantastic and so is this one i i am delighted that um the argyle is still here it, i uh, they're they have not uh, been there for very long, and it seemed like they were struggling for the first few years, which is understandable for a new theater. But now, uh, just I guess by dint of hanging on, and then also um, they have been choosing some really popular titles lately, including this one, and um, they have Bye Bye Birdie coming up. Uh, so it was uh, 
the orchestra where I where I sat was completely full uh, for yesterday's matinee, and uh, I looked upstairs and there were you know there were um, a fair number of people up in the in the mez balcony also, so very really 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 happy to report that. Um, I would say that this was a very strong production in every way. Uh, the orchestra sounded terrific, even though I, I, to me, the sound was a little, um, the amplification level was a little too high. But I, <laughs> I could say that about almost every show that I see. So, um, so that's that. Um, and the choreography um, seemed to me. Uh, I'm no dance expert, but it seemed to me that it was a really nice. Um, combination of uh, not not completely recreating the original uh, Michael Bennett choreography, but uh, and and Bob Avian uh, cho- choreographed originally, uh, not completely recreating it, but uh, in the iconic moments that we all want to see, like you know the thing with the hand on the hat and the one number and things like that. But then um, she. Uh, Francine seemed to bring her own talents to it as well. And um, I would say uh, on the negative side that some of the acting I really did not enjoy. But fortunately, uh, the uh, most of the people who really had to land the really important moments were all excellent as actors as well as dancers. And they would include uh, Lexi Plath as Cassie. Emma Vielbig as Sheila, Mario Rizzi as Mike, Jenny Dalrymple as Maggie, and um, especially Yamil Rivera as Paul. Uh, I went with our friend Kevin McInerney, and we both said um, after his monologue that uh, it, it had been uh, we had never been more moved by that incredible mm. monologue than we were by Emil Rivera's performance. Uh, interestingly, this production included a uh, an intermission, and I thought it worked just fine. And the place that they put it was not where I expected. Uh, I was trying to think, well, where will there be an intermission? But it was um, when they send when Zach sends everyone off uh, for a break, and then. Uh, talks to cassie uh leading into the music and the mirror um but so he sent everyone off and they all went off and then he went off stage and the lights came up and then when the lights came back on uh, cassie walked on stage and and zach did his scene with her um so i thought that that really worked very well i wasn't sure if the show how i'd feel about the show with a with an intermission but i i did really it, it was just fine as far as i'm concerned and um that's mostly all I have to say about it. One more bravo to Michael Cassara, who's the casting director out there. He really, really seems to find wonderful oh, yeah. people. And uh, I mean, obviously, with Broadway being so busy, <laughs> um, you know, uh, maybe there, there. Well, there are a lot of people who are just not available. Uh, but it's incredible. There's the level of talent. Um, that you find and uh not all not all uh equity people uh at this theater it's you know they they have uh some equity people but not all uh and uh, the theater itself is is a lovely uh venue right in the heart of babylon village uh and it's uh, the town itself is very pretty and uh it's only an hour 
um, from New York, almost exactly an hour uh, on the Long Island Railroad. Uh, so I, I really um, hope you'll put them on your radar if you're not already the Argyle Theater. They're really, really terrific stuff there. So uh, I, I live about 10 minutes away from the Argyle Theater. Uh, and if you are heading out to the Argyle in Babylon and uh, you need some restaurant recommendations or yeah. anything else or things like that. So email me my email address in the uh, show notes. Uh, I can kind of point you towards some good restaurants and some uh, advice and things like that if you're concerned about it. But get out to the Argyle. It's great. It's yes. really wonderful. So, uh, Peter, mm. did you actually go to Munich? No, you didn't. <laughs> you just you just went over to the Women's Project to see um, uh, Munich Medea, Happy Family. So tell us about this uh, production. Well, Kareen Jaber's play, uh, directed by Lee Sunday Evans, um, is effective. Um, and I didn't think it was going to be at the beginning because it was clear from the outset this was going to be one of those plays where people just look at you and speak to you in monologues. There's no interaction among the characters whatsoever. And that type of approach can be um, a little boring. Um, I, I first encountered it with Brian Friel's Faith Healer, and I certainly was bored there. And um, it's been done a few times here and there. This is one that I really was gripped by. Uh, and when I tell you what the, the plot is, you'll say, gee, we've heard that before. Yeah, but uh, Kareem Jaber's writing is so elegant uh, and so specific that it made it worthwhile. So what's the story about? Well, Caroline and Alice are friends. And um, Caroline later lets us know that her father has been... Um, yeah, raping her. Um, it, it's a, a terrible, incestuous situation. But then he moves on to Alice. So that's what the story is about. Now, Caroline and Alice uh, and the father, it's many years later, and uh, they tell us all about what happened. The father, uh, played by Kurt Rhodes, very, very much one of these people who believes that there's nothing wrong with what he's doing. He rationalizes like crazy. Uh, he will not take responsibility whatsoever. So the horror of that is really very profound. Um, the guilt that Caroline feels um, is is pretty profound, too. And Crystal Finn, excellent as his daughter, excellent. Um, telling us how she feels about uh, first being somewhat relieved that she wasn't the victim anymore um, and yet feeling bad that she um, actually introduced her friend into the situation. But most of the show is um, Alice's recollections. And here in a great performance is um, Heather Raffo, a tremendous uh, performance. Um, uh, she's certainly been around um, in a number of films more, I think, than theater that I've seen her, but tremendous in letting us see what this has done to her and um, how the stories we always hear in these situations about how the victims often feel guilty uh, when indeed they shouldn't, uh, but they do. All that is very, very well detailed, and but we really have somebody here who is a tremendous talent as a playwright. 
but I am going to look forward to a play that really is a play with people interacting. Uh, up until that time, Munich Medea, Happy Family will indeed do. Okay. So that is um, Munich Medea. It is uh, playing through February 25th, so about two weeks left in it, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Michael, you headed over to Carnegie Hall to see the New York Pops, where they had a uh, a Gershwin show, Jazz, mm. Love, and Gershwin, A Century of Rhapsody in Blue. It's a century of Rhapsody in Blue. Yeah. Wow. So uh, tell us about this. Well, it was really a fantastic concert uh, featuring a brilliant performance of Rhapsody in Blue almost exactly 100 years to the day of the premiere mm. uh the premiere was uh the the premiere was on february 12th 1924 mm. and this concert was on friday february 9th and uh by the way the premiere was held at a place called aeolian hall mm -hmm. which no longer exists uh the concert hall no longer exists but the building still exists and believe it or not i worked in that building for a few weeks <laughs> um and you can enter it it's on uh, well the the main entrance is on 42nd street between fifth and sixth avenues you can also enter on 43rd there's an entrance there and if you go in um you'll see that the lobby is so ornate that i think i don't know this but i think maybe it's the original lobby uh uh, or if not, um, it must, I mean, it, it, it certainly does not look like a modern lobby. It's very old looking and ornate and beautiful. So you might want to check that out and, and stand for a few moments, <laughs> um, you know, in the place where Rhapsody in Blue premiered. Uh, but this concert, the New York Pops concert, as all of their uh, events are, was held at Carnegie Hall. And the piano soloist was Lee Musiker who has worked with many greats over the years, including Tony Bennett. Um, and he, I, I had never seen him in the guise of a concert pianist, but he was absolutely fantastic. He uh, got quite an ovation after the performance of the Rhapsody. And in fact, I, I was walking home afterwards and I saw a, a woman walking with a violin case, uh, you know, uh, on her back and i said did you just play this concert and i held up my my playbill <laughs> and she said i certainly did and i said that was just fantastic and she said well we were all blown away by lee musiker um uh and interestingly what he did uh before he before the rhapsody was performed stephen reinecke the conductor of the pops said that um uh initially when Gershwin wrote the piece, he, he apparently wrote it on very short notice, and he had not written out the piano part. Uh, when he played it originally at the premiere, he just not quite improvised, but sort of, uh, and was just playing whatever he played. And then in later years, the, the piano part was written down. But Stephen Reinecke said they felt that it was always meant to be um, somewhat improvisatory uh in, in keeping with the fact of melding jazz with uh symphonic music which is was the whole point of the piece and why it created such a sensation so um lee musiker uh i would say for the first half of the piece he played uh what we all know uh, the, the notes we all know uh but then um in the second part he 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 did 
take some liberties. And it was interesting to hear um, what what his thoughts were on that. And it really made you, uh, well, obviously hear the piece in a new in a new way. Um, so it was a, a triumphant performance, I would say. And really the, the ovation was one of the longest I've ever heard, uh, especially for a, um, you know, for a soloist in a, in a symphonic piece like that. Um, so it was a great evening, but also uh, I certainly don't want to fail to mention that Montego Glover was on hand to sing several songs by Gershwin with the pops uh, to the point where it was almost, uh, um, it could almost be uh, seen as a solo concert from Montego Mm -hmm. Glover with the pops. Um, She did strike up the band uh, from strike up the man, clap your hands from. Okay. Swonderful from funny face. They can't take that away from me. From shall we dance the movie? Uh, The man I love from strike up the band. Uh, I got rhythm uh, and summertime from Porgy and Bess, and uh, almost all of those, uh, other than summertime, were presented in the Nelson Riddle arrangements, which he did for the incredible um, Ella Fitzgerald sings the Gershwin Songbook albums, uh, which are really some of the the greatest albums of their type that that ever were done and if you haven't heard those you should really pick them up um so everything about this concert was great the arrangements the singing the the playing of lee musiker the playing of the pops uh it was just fantastic and i was really glad to be there all right did you see that article recently about somebody wrote that the rhapsody in blue isn't so hot oh yeah yeah, I think since its premiere, it has had its critics. There are some people who feel that the different sections of it don't fit together very well. Uh-huh. I I just don't agree. Uh, uh-huh. mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I was surprised mm-hmm. to read it. Mm-hmm. All right, so that was a one night only event uh, by the New York Pops, but we'll have a link to the Pops website in our show notes so that you can jump on those and get to the next one or plan your trips to New York uh, to see them as well. Um, Peter, you got down to the new uh, Perelman Performing Arts Center, which is the new space at the World Trade Center that was that was built on the site uh, at the World Trade Center. And it's a new art center to see a production of the following evening. So two questions. Is this the first mm-hmm. time you've been down there to the new yeah. art center? Yeah. yeah. And the second is, what'd you think of the following evening? Well, uh, it's always ominous when a, a character comes out and says, nothing's going to happen in the play. Hmm. Uh, and this is in the first five minutes that Paul Zimet uh, tells us this. And we're told the show is 70 minutes long. So there's 65 minutes to go. And we're told nothing's going to happen in the play. Um, well, that's That doesn't turn out to be quite true uh, because um, there is a great deal of charm found in this very offbeat for character piece. Um, and if, if you want to place blame, for the lack of the plot, um, well, then um, Paul Zemet's co-stars, Abigail Brode and Michael Silverstone, must take the rap because they wrote 
the show, they directed the show, and they appear in it. So, uh, but, you know, here's what it is. It's about a, a, an older couple. They've been together forever. And um, so uh, Ellen Maddow is uh, Paul Zimmett's wife. And they're living in a building and um, in uh, an upper floor, but moving in on downstairs, um, f- several floors below, is um, is this couple, Abigail and Michael. And what really happens, even though nothing happens in the play, is the fact that they really become very fond of each other. And they help the older people. So that's kind of nice. Um, of course, I'm a sucker for what Ellen Ellen Meadow says at one point when she talks about how she fell in love with the theater. Uh, you'll always have my attention in a story like that, but it's a very different thing. It's not like she saw Olivier or Merman or anything like that. No, um, they had a friend in the cast. Uh, the family had a friend in the cast. She's a little girl, and they go backstage, and it was backstage that really entranced her. You know, seeing these people she had just seen on stage, you know, um, hanging around, you know, um, eating Chinese food takeout, you know, playing cards, that type of thing. She's That's when she said, I want to be a part of this. And uh, she and Paul Zimmett have been. They've, they've really had their own company um, for a long, long time. And indeed, um, they uh, continue to be younger than their years when they perform. Suddenly, a spirit comes through that's really quite nice. Of course, you know, as as optimistic as they uh, tend to be, um, time does take its toll, and you do hear um, a lot of uh, things like how'd you make up with the physical therapist yesterday? Um, those are, those are real questions that happen as you get older. Uh, but the young people tend to be less optimistic. Um, Abigail says she always thought it would be more fun when she moved to New York. Um, Michael at one point says, we're just jerks. Um, <laughs> and um, Abigail might agree when he tells her, I don't say thank you to you because I don't need to. Uh, to me, that's a variation on that famous but controversial sentiment that Paul and Ellen must have heard in their youth. Love means you never have to say you're sorry. So um, anyway, even though Paul and Ellen certainly haven't made a million uh, performing their experimental works here, there, and everywhere. I do give Michael credit for appreciating their devotion to the theater. Uh, he's quite moving when he says, it's not just an empty stage there. They're building something. And it's nice that he sees that. Okay, speaking of buildings, what about this Perelman Performing Arts Center? It makes a pretty good impression as you approach it. I imagine there must be an escalator or an elevator that escaped me because there are, I counted, 38 steps that you have to climb to get to um, the actual facility itself. Um, I'm surprised that um, this cube, I think it is, um, has all panels of marble as opposed to glass because I think it would make a very arresting uh, view if you had glass there, but you're not going to see anything when you look out because um, there's marble instead of glass. 5,000 panels, by the way, of marble, I'm told. So um, so you go in, there's a very nice restaurant called Metropolis, um, and then you take an elevator. There may be 804 theaters in this building, I don't know, but the one um, I was at, uh, a, a, the 80-seat space um, is on the fourth floor, so you take an elevator. And of course, there's always a wonderful benefit about being in a new theater, the plush seats are mighty comfortable. <laughs> All right. So uh, the thing, uh, 
I, I don't expect you're going to get this reference, Peter, but maybe some of our listeners will. Uh, you know, the outside of the theater, it looks just like a cube. Um, uh, it looks like a big, huge cube, and it sort of looks like the Borg or maybe 2001 <laughs> Space Odyssey or something like that. Um, but it's, Boy, it, I haven't it, seen Space Odyssey in the longest time. Yeah. So uh, there it is, the following evening at the Perriman uh, Performing Arts Center. I have a link in the show notes to not only the following evening, but the Wikipedia page for the Perlman uh, Performing Arts Center. Um, it's a, a very interesting how it uh, came up. And oh, yes, yeah. Rob Johnson's resistance is futile. <laughs> no, <there are laughs> resistance of, to the arts. Yeah, there were there were plenty of starts and stops and um, resignations and what have you. So it yeah it um, it did. Um, Go through a lot, but here it is. They could probably it's have a play or a musical about the building of it. Yeah, they probably could. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, finally, this morning in our review section, Michael, you got, uh, did you get invited to the very Shishi private award ceremony of the Cleveland Awards? I did. <laughs> you did wow imagine that you know <laughs> did, can you imagine that uh did you pick up a <laughs> did you pick up a phone and say hey uh richard malpy can i go no but i uh i uh, i remember where i went last year and last year i think it was at the was it at the ascap office yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's traditionally been downtown yeah but this year it was at new world stages um so you know, I, I I don't know what was involved in that, but uh, uh, that's where it was, and it was it's such a great event. This uh, we should always I always uh, have to be careful to call it the Kleban Prize rather than award because mm-hmm. that's a significant difference in this case because the winners get one hundred thousand dollars each wow. to help them, uh, you know, support them as their. Uh, as they're going through their careers and, you know, give them the financial ability to really focus on writing uh, rather than, you know, working in a bank or whatever. Uh, So, and the winners this year were uh, lyricist Rona Siddiqui, uh, uh, most promising musical theater lyricist and Lisa Loomer, uh, most promising musical theater librettist. So uh, they were both there and they both presented, uh, examples of their work and uh richard malpy was there uh representing the the uh the cleban award richard malpy was there and more yeston and they both spoke and um one of the most wonderful surprises was uh that sheldon harnick had been very instrumental in um in the cleban prize uh and so he was represented with a performance of Do You Love Me from Fiddler on the Roof by a, a combination of Tevye and Golda that I don't think we'd ever seen before, Danny Burstein and Andrea Martin. Mm. Uh, mm. Because when Danny did it on Broadway, uh, his Golda was Jessica Hecht. And when Andrea did, uh, she she went in as a replacement uh, for the production that uh, originally starred Alfred Molina, but then Andrea, I think, went in and played 
Golda opposite Harvey Firestein. So, but we had never seen Danny and Andrea before, and it, it was a really, really wonderful thing. Uh, it was a great event, uh, nice and short, uh, because uh. there were only those two awards, and then the songs presented by the winners, and then, uh, as I said, Danny and and Andrea performing "Do You Love Me," and then some remarks, and then that was it. Um, and you know some refreshments uh in the lobby there that was nice uh but what was great for me was also i got to talk with more yeston uh afterwards and i said you know i ha- i have to tell you i feel like it's for me it's all more yeston all the time because first of all uh encore is going to be doing titanic soon and then the titanic is also being done at nyu uh, uh, by the Steinhardt School, and actually, I'm going to see that today, um, this afternoon. Then, in addition to that, Nine is going to be done in a major production at the Kennedy Center. Uh, Walter Willison is doing a, a Grand Hotel 35th Anniversary concert, uh, four performances, I believe, at 54 Below at the end of this month. And then, on top of all that, Karen Akers is going to be singing her songs from Nine in my 54 Loves Cast Albums concert on March 7. So I said, um, yeah, so I, I said again, it, it, you know, I, I feel like this is a very more Yeston month for me. And he said, well, this is more Yeston's year. <laughs> <laughs> so he seemed very happy about that <laughs> and deservedly so. Well, as they, to paraphrase ragtime, there are still 10 months to go. So <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of news this week is uh, that Tyne Daly had to withdraw from doubt because she's having a little bit of uh, health issues, uh, yeah. which uh, pushed back the uh, doubt opening a, a few days. Yeah. Uh, Amy, Amy Ryan is going to replace her. Uh, and but the so, word uh, right now is that Isabel Keating, who's uh, taking over for the nonce, um, is quite, quite powerful. Yes, yes. And many people are very upset. The roundabout just didn't let Isabel continue. Yes, yes. She, you know, and especially, uh, well, uh, I mean, I've had many problems and voiced them in the past with the, the roundabouts casting. Sometimes I think they just throw stars at shows. Uh, and they feel that's important even when the when there's really no need to or the casting is not the best and and they just concentrate on that rather than uh sometimes with having a really well directed well put together show so um uh, it seems that maybe on the basis of this that that has not changed uh despite the passing of their artistic director Todd Hames so We'll see what happens with doubt. Mm. And uh, Michael, we wanted to drop in two uh, quick things here. The New York City J- uh, Gay Men's Choir is doing a gala. Yes. Um, I mentioned this before that uh, on Monday, February 19th at the Edison Ballroom, uh, they they have a gala every year called Harmony, uh, not to be confused with the recently mm-hmm. closed show, uh, but they've called it that for years. And uh, I actually had arranged for Cheetah Rivera to receive their Icon Award, uh, their very first Icon Award at this show. And then obviously uh, mm-hmm. Cheetah passed, but mm-hmm. but of course um, they're going to still give her the award posthumously. And I believe um, my understanding is that 
Cheetah's daughter, Lisa, is going to be there to accept it on her behalf, Lisa Mordente. Uh, but they're also giving a, an award to Robin de Jesus, their Arts in Action Award. Um, and he is certainly well known for his performances in uh, several things, including several very prominent gay roles in uh, in The Boys in the Band as Amory and uh, more recently in Tick, Tick, Boom in the film as Michael. Uh, so he's going to be there. And then uh, Matt Doyle, Tony Award winner, Matt Doyle will be performing. And the host for the evening is Telly Leung. So I think it's going to be great. And I hadn't been to the Edison in a while, uh, quite a while, uh, but I, we went for a little uh, preview and uh, tasting for this event. And uh, I had forgotten how lovely it is. Uh, it's really, really very, very, very nice. Um, so that that's on top of everything else you're going to get. So it's Monday, February 19th at 6 p.m. And we'll include um, a link in the show notes so that you can buy tickets if you're interested and uh another event coming up at 54 below next sunday february 18th in Dahomey. yeah this uh i have nothing to do with this production but it sounds like it might be unmissable because uh i'm just going to read what it says here uh before the color purple dream girls the whiz and even shuffle along there was in Dahomey. Come and celebrate Black history with us at 54 Below as we pay homage to Broadway's first full-length musical to be both written and performed by Black artists. Uh, this was in 1903. Uh, this show uh, has a score that blended opera with ragtime, uh, music by Will Marion Cook and lyrics by Paul Lawrence Dunbar. Uh, and so really, I mean, this, uh, when are you ever going to see this again? <laughs> it just sounds absolutely amazing. Um, the cast is quite large. Some of the names I recognize, uh, Ezekiel Andrew, Major Attaway, uh, Soleil Hall, uh, James Jackson Jr. Uh, but really it's quite, quite a large cast. Um, so I think, and it's produced by Cassine Gaines. C A S E E N Gaines. Do you know him? Yeah, yeah. He did a book on Christmas Story and uh, another book too. I forget the name of it, but uh, yeah. Co produced uh, by him and a uh, woman, Pure Lamia Porter. Uh, so, really, um, I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm really going to try to go see this. This is on February 18th. All right, so that's just a week away. We'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. So that wraps it up for today. Before we get on to our brain teaser and our musical moments, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayRadio.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us in Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to get us. Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Broadway Radio is one way that you can support Broadway Radio's offerings as well as get them a little bit earlier than everybody else and get special bonus episodes. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found in the show notes at broadwayradio.com as well as links <laughs> to some of the things we've talked about today. So, Peter, do we have an answer to last week's brain teaser? 
Some musicals are so bad that they close out of town, such as Hot September in 1491. Some musicals are so bad that they close during previews, such as The Little Prince and the Aviator and, of course, Breakfast at Tiffany's. However, one hit musical saw one of its revivals close out of town and years later saw a subsequent revival close during previews. What's the musical? Okay, the Gershwin hit from 1926 saw its 1978 revival close in Washington, D.C. without coming to Broadway. In 1991, a return engagement of a different revival played 16 previews of the Lundfontein before calling it quits. Tony Janicki was the first for the third consecutive week, followed by Josh Israel, J. Aubrey Jones, Brigadude, Fred Abramowitz, and Ingrid Gammerman. This week's question, a female character in a 20th century Tony-winning musical could be described as deft, that's D-E-F-T, deft, intelligent, musically literate, and abstemious. Who is she? <laughs> hmm. If you have an answer for that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So, Michael, what do we have in this week's musical moments? Well, before uh, we get into that, I did want to slip in a quick correction for the record. Uh, oh, of, that's right. I had misspoken in something I said in my review of Once Upon a Mattress. I uh, made a point that I thought they had changed a line in the show, uh, but not a lyric, uh, because for, but. Uh, Actually, actually, Matthew John Matei wrote in to keep me honest, and this was really quite a surprise to me. For some reason, the script of the show uh, contains the spoken line, throughout the land, no one may wed till dauntless to the altar's lead. But when the chorus sings that line a few moments later, they sing, throughout the land, no one may wed till Dauntless shares his marriage bed. Um, I don't know why they, they would, there would be two different versions of that line. And I think that when I was involved in a college production of it years ago, I think they changed the spoken line to the um, to the the way it said when it's sung. Uh, and also, uh, I mean, you know, arguably... Uh, a groom is not led to the altar. So I have no explanation for that line, but sure enough, it's in the original script, which was forwarded to me by Matthew John Matei. So thank, thanks to him for keeping me honest on that. There were many, many, many other changes uh, and rewrites for this pr performance of this production of Once Upon a Mattress. So uh, maybe I can be forgiven for thinking that they made that one as well, but I did just mm -hmm. want to correct it. Anyway, um, back to Maury Yeston for our musical moments uh, this week. As I said, he he definitely is having a, quite a quite a resurgence um, right now in several productions coming up. Uh, so uh, our opener is the Overture delle Donne from Nine. Uh, such a fantastic, striking opening to that wonderful musical. And our closer is the chorale Godspeed Titanic from Titanic. I always think of it as the title song from that show, but it's not quite. It's, the title is Godspeed Titanic. And uh, again, um, that show is going to be done by encores uh, fairly soon. Uh, so if you've never seen or heard Titanic, you might want to get there for that. 
All right. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.